Today on Hearing is Believing. So there's a fellowship that's been lost that is now being restored through the Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Connecting contemporary culture to the timeless truths of God's Word. This is Hearing is Believing. Well, we're soon going to turn the corner. It's coming to be that time of the year where we're going to delight in togetherness. Or we should say that it's fixing to be that season of togetherness. And for some places this year, the togetherness is going to be strained due to the governing authorities limiting not only who can be there, but how many people can be gathered together. But in the heart of each human is a desire for belonging. And ask yourself the question, why on earth is that so? Take the divide in our nation, for example. Take our present circumstances right where we are. This, uh, our nation is, during, is right now facing an election cycle. And that division between the two parties is one that not only reveals two differing worldviews, but at its core demonstrates the human desire for belonging. Each candidate, no matter if they're a Republican or a Democrat, has a vision for human flourishing. And those two parties are trying to convince the other side to join their side. Two sides filled with a coalition of folks belonging together. Every human has a desire for fellowship, a desire for longing. And why is this so? Well, the Bible says that in the beginning, God created. God creating is full of meaning. And so by us understanding God created, we understand purpose. God, who has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Spirit in a fellowship of love, decided to create space to be known. God, who is love, created. And amazingly, if we think about the first pages of Scripture as we consider that first account of the creation story, we see God has a special creation. There's one day that shines above all other days. That's day six. And what happens on day six? God creates his, the crown of His creation, humanity. And we learn that Male and female are created in the image of God. And then God speaks to them. This same God who spoke the world and mountains were in place. This same God who spoke and the stars came. Speaks to the man and to the woman. And amazingly, they understand what he's saying. God created mankind to walk with him. That is, he created mankind to know him and to make him known. 
But then, of course, you know the rest of the story. Mankind decided to put God's Word aside. And when they put God's Word aside, it resulted in expulsion from His presence. Chaos ensued. And instead of them having an unbridled access to God, God's sustaining Word became an echo, became a whisper. But what God said would continue to stand. God would continue to speak down through the ages. He would never leave His creation. Instead, as He spoke down through the ages, He would be assuring them of all that He planned to accomplish, all of His promises that He intended to fulfill. And central to His promise is redemption and restoration. Redemption and restoration. And the way that he would do both, listen carefully, the way that he would redeem and restore would be through revelation. And though this time the Word of God would become flesh and dwell amongst us, so that we could see His glory, glory full of grace and truth. And this world or this Word made flesh would gather a community around Himself. And He'd start with the least of these in society. He'd start with fishermen. He'd start with tax collectors. And then He would demonstrate the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisest of men. And those few would grow to many and then would be commissioned to go and tell the world the message of the Word. And central to telling is a message of repentance and faith. Central to that message is repentance and faith. Repent of not trusting in the Word and place faith in the Word. Those who do repent and trust in God's Word, they become part of God's new humanity, formed by the Word, listen, and fashioned into the Word. To those who believe, He gave them the right to become children of God. So those who do repent and trust in the Word become part of God's new humanity. And that new humanity is formed by the Word and fashioned into the Word. And Scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then it adds this. All of this is from God. The Bible also says, through Him... We have both access and one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And listen to this phrase, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. How does a temple grow? 
unless it's living. In Him, listen to this next phrase from Ephesians. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so this plan to make one new humanity formed in the image of God had its beginnings in creation and will find its fulfillment in new creation through the Son, through the Word made flesh. So there's a fellowship that's been lost that is now being restored through the Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. John Milton captures all of this in the opening lines of his poem, Paradise Lost. Listen to what Milton says. Of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree, whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all of our woe with loss of Eden, till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat. So if you have your Bible this evening, I invite you to take it and turn with me as we turn our attention to the climax of the first letter of Paul to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking tonight at verses 14 through 16. And principle number 7 tonight is delighting in fellowship. Delighting in fellowship. Now remember, the title of this series is Safe to Shore. And we're looking through 1 Timothy to try to uncover 12 principles as we go through Timothy, 12 principles to keep our faith off the rocks. 12 principles to ensure that we don't end up becoming like uh, chapter 1 and verse 18 through 20, Hymenaeus and Alexander who made shipwreck of their faith. And so principle number 7, we've made it that far, principle number 7 is delighting in fellowship. And central to traversing safely through this life, listen, is delighting in authentic Christian fellowship. Now, pay attention to every word. Delighting in what? Authentic Christian fellowship. All of those terms are important. Satisfying fellowship comes from gospel-centered, word-formed community that's built on the teachings of the apostles and prophets with Christ at the center as cornerstone. <laughs> Let's read the Bible. 1 Timothy 3, look at verse 14. I'll read the text, and then I'll say a prayer and ask God to help us as we look deeper into the text, and then we'll continue. Hear the word of the Lord. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar of and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up 
in glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Help us, O Lord, tonight to understand the beauty of this text, to understand the importance of desiring and delighting in Christian fellowship, and help us to understand what we mean when we say Christian fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. So notice the focus of the text. Notice the focus of the text. The text connects the church to the living God. Do you see that? The church of the living God. So the living God, and then there's another term that's connected with that. The living God is demonstrated with godliness. And all of that centers on the ministry of Jesus. Look at the text. Great indeed, we confess, is this mystery of godliness. And then what's the next word after the mystery of godliness? He. He. So it's all centered on the ministry, or we should say the person of Jesus. And specifically, look at the text. There's a threefold work of Christ that this Him delights in. The incarnation. He was manifested in the flesh. Then the resurrection, vindicated by the Spirit. And then the ascension, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations. That's the exaltation. Believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So the threefold work of Christ, His incarnation, His resurrection, and His ascension, or His exaltation. And so in other words, the connection between Jesus and His church is a deep connection. Think about the way that Scripture often refers to the church. Scripture often refers to the church as not only the bride of Christ, the people of God, but as the body of Christ himself. Ephesians 5.23. Christ is the head of the church. His body. And is himself. Its savior. Paul says to the Corinthians. You. And that's a plural you. It's like saying y'all. You are the body of Christ. And then listen to this beautiful next phrase, and individually members of it. You see how robust that is? You, plural, are the body of Christ together, and individually members of that body. Now, how on earth does this language develop from the text? Are we right to talk about the church and connect the church with, with God? Or understand this connection between God and the church? Absolutely. Look at the text again. This is the church of the living God. And the center of that relationship is Jesus. And what do we mean when we say Jesus? This is so important. Jesus is the Son incarnate. And what does that mean? If Jesus is the Son incarnate, that means that there is a union between God and humanity. A union between God and humanity. A union of the personhood of Jesus and the personhood of the Son united without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. Each nature 
both God and humanity, listen to this language, being preserved and coming together to form one person, not two persons, are one Lord, Jesus Christ. And so the early church, and that's adapted from the Chalcedonian definition, the early church tried to answer the question, who is this Jesus? And what does it mean for him to be fully God, fully man? Is he part God, part man? Is he more God than he is man? And listen to the way the Chalcedonian definition uh, defines this relationship. A union of the personhood of Jesus and the personhood of the Son, united, and here comes the Chalcedonian language, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. Each nature, God and humanity, being preserved and coming together to form one person, not two persons. One Lord. Jesus Christ. You say, well, what on earth does that have to do with the church? You are his body and individually members of it. In the same way, the church is this new humanity formed in Jesus. This is, and, and our marker is the incarnation of Jesus, this perfect union between God and man. And in the same way, the church is Christ's new humanity, formed in Himself. Ephesians says this, Through His flesh, He has created, listen, listen to this, one man, one new man in place of the two. So if Christ has created one new man in place of the two, what does it mean? He is the union between those. He's united them. You say, well, what basis do we have to understand that union? We understand that union based upon who Jesus is. This Jesus, who is the place where heaven and earth meet in his body. This new creation forged by Christ and formed into Christ. It means a greater it means a greater responsibility and opportunity for us to realize who we are. And then when we realize who we are, we display through our coming together as one the dazzling brilliance of Christ. God created the church, formed by Christ. Through the Spirit, listen to this, to display who He is to the world. He is unity in the midst of diversity. He is united in His essence, but different in His persons. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not the Spirit. But what's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all share in common? Godness. Whatever it means to be God, the Father is completely. Whatever it means to be God, the Son is completely. Whatever it means to be God, the Spirit is completely. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three truths from this text this evening. 
three truths that try to get at the heart of what God intends us to be. When God created the church, number one, He made a way to satisfy longings. He made a way to satisfy longings. Look at this. Paul, he begins this section with an expressed longing to come soon. Do you see that? I hope to come to you soon. That's what he says. What, could you just imagine receiving that word if you were Timothy? Just imagine. Here's this man that you look up to. Here's this man that you want to emulate, you want to be like. And he writes to you and he says, man, I sure do hope to see you soon. Paul begins this section with an expressed longing to come soon. And listen, such a longing is indicative of his relationship with Jesus. The church is important to Jesus. For her he bled and died. And what is important to Jesus becomes important to those who love him. Those who love him love what he loves. And a longing for the fellowship of the believer, a longing for the fellowship of other believers is a mark of a maturing believer. For example, just consider the moment the Spirit lit the flame of the church. Acts tells us this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, where were they? They were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, listen to this word, together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And in the very beginning, they were together. But what brought them together? What brought them together was that they understood and they saw. What brought them together is, that, is what they understood and what they saw from their Savior. Listen to me carefully. Fellowship is at the heart of the gospel. Because fellowship is who God is. He has eternally existed in fellowship with Himself, and He has lovingly desired to share that fellowship with me and you. So this, when we come together, is just a little foretaste of heaven. It's just a little foretaste of being with Him who's already together, who's Him who already likes nothing. He shares Himself with us. And then he tells us to share ourselves with one another, to love one another. Further, we should note this, uh, that Paul is strikingly absent. He's not there with Timothy. And we should also point out how his absence highlights both the physical absence of a Savior. Christ is not here physically amongst us. 
When you partake of this supper, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming. He's not here now. He's coming. So Paul's absence highlights the physical absence of the Savior as well as it highlights how Jesus is present. And his presence, listen, is a spiritual presence. Listen to this. In the world, through the church. There is not a total absence of Christ from the world. Instead, there is a body of believers, a body of believers who are fashioned into and through His likeness. These are formed by the blood of Jesus and fashioned through His likeness. Further, the text tells us that when God created the church, number two, He made a support for truth. Or He made a support for truth. And in that truth, they uphold the truth. The church behaves. You see that phrase? Behave. How many of your mothers ever told you to behave? Well, Paul tells the church in Ephesus, behave. But they behave a certain way because they've been molded a certain way. You see, you and I, we have this unique opportunity as well as this unique responsibility to display truth before the world. And there are so many distortions. There are so many false representations of truth, but distortions, listen, are impossible for the true church. And the true church is the church that's built on the apostles and the prophets centered on Jesus, filled with the Spirit. As the old hymn says, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is His new creation by water and the Word. From heaven He came and sought her to be His holy bride And with his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. And if the Bible says here, look at this language, the church of the living God, verse 15, right before 16, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And what does a pillar do? A pillar upholds. Since we are a pillar, what on earth are we upholding? What are we holding up? Jesus said, When the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. Paul would tell the church in Colossae, Him we proclaim. And that's interesting. Not about Him. We got a message that sort of looks like Him. He didn't say that. He says, Him we proclaim. 
In some mysterious way, he says to the Galatians in Galatians 4 or Galatians 5, Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified before them. He's writing to the Galatian church long after, 25 years perhaps, after the, um, the crucifixion of Jesus. How on earth is Christ crucified before them publicly? Through the preaching of his word. Him, we proclaim, in some mysterious way, it's Him that we proclaim. And in that same passage in Colossians, that word mystery is used. Listen to it. Let me read it to you. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. What does that mean? Listen to what it says further. For the sake of His body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. Listen, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but has now been revealed to His saints. Paul says it's to them that God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery. And what is that mystery? Well, Paul's going to define it. Listen, here's the mystery. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. You remember Jesus told His disciples in John, He said, it's, it's better for you if I leave. And all of us are sitting there reading it, just like probably, just like the apostles did. Say, no way, Jesus. We would much rather have you than have to go stand in a line, perhaps on Tuesday, and vote for a candidate. Wouldn't you rather have King Jesus? Wouldn't it be better if he was here? Not according to Jesus. Now, Jesus is coming, but he told his apostles explicitly, he said, it's to your advantage that I leave. Why was it to their advantage that he leave? Because they had a mission to fulfill. We have to be a part of this kingdom purpose. We get this, this wonderful understanding of who Christ is to walk with Him in fellowship. Remember what Peter said. Some may say, well, you know, I would have much rather, instead of just having Scripture, just give me Jesus. To which Peter says, no, no, you don't understand. We were with Him on the mountain. We heard the voice. And then he said, but you, you have the Word of God more fully confirmed to which you'll do well to pay attention as a light shining in a dark place. And then he says, no scripture is up to one's own interpretation or, or is up to the opinions of man, but men move by the Holy Spirit. You know what he's doing? He's emphasizing scripture. You know, when we read the passage, we get to see Jesus come and, and give Peter the, the back slap on the, on the head. Why do we get that advantage? Because Peter made the mistakes that, so that we won't have to. That's why Peter says, you're in a much better place than I am because the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. What does he say? What does Paul say the mystery is in Colossians? The mystery, Christ in you. And Christ in you, listen to what he says, Christ in you, that's the hope of glory. That's the entire hope of of glory. That's what the angels long to look into, this salvation. Christ in you. And then he says, Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. This Jesus we proclaim. 
warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in this one that we're proclaiming in Christ. And then he says, for this I toll, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see, all of those points, and that's a good passage for you to perhaps write down, Colossians 1, 24 through 29. All that we're considering as we look at this passage is, is all there in Colossians. The point that I'm trying to lay out for you is to show you that what I'm talking about is firmly embedded in Scripture. We are His assembled people. And when we assemble in the power of the Spirit, we resemble the image of Christ who is our Redeemer. So in our gathering together, we uphold the truth. Remember what he told Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is he? Not simply the way, but what? The truth. He's the truth. We're simply a pillar and a buttress of that truth. We lift Him up. We proclaim Him so that when He is lifted up, He can draw all people to Himself. You see, when God created the church, number three, He fashioned a group resembling revelation. Resembling Revelation. We are to display revelation. We are, listen, we are the ecclesia of the living God. You say you're speaking in tongues. No, I'm speaking in Greek. We are the ecclesia of the living God. You know what that word ecclesia means? It means gathering. It's a Roman term. Whenever the Roman court would come together, that high and mighty, prestigious, court, they would say that the ecclesia, they would call that the ecclesia, highfalutin and mighty. And Paul looks at these ragamuffin group who he tells the Corinthians, just to consider your calling, you're not many wise, you're not many bold, you're not many learned, you're not affluent, but God chose you, you, a ragamuffin group to display his wisdom before the world. And so Paul takes that royal term of ecclesia and he says, listen, the church is the ecclesia of the living God. Just as in the incarnation, listen to me carefully, just as in the incarnation, the body of Jesus is the place heaven touches earth, so too the church resembles Him. And when we gather and Christ is in our midst, in some mysterious way, heaven touches earth again. When the Spirit inhabits the praise of the gathered people, God is present 
in the world. This is the mysterion or the mystery of godliness. All displayed in the relationship between Christ and the church. The church in some way, and I don't understand this. This is beyond my kin. In some way, the church is the manifest presence of God. What does he say about the church? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name? What does he say? There I am amongst them. He said he would not leave us as orphans. He said that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He said this in John, he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Listen to this next phrase. And I will love Him and, listen, manifest myself to Him. How on earth does God manifest Himself to us? By the Spirit. You say, give me more than that. I can't. I don't know how. Other than to just say what is there. So when we gather for worship, what do we do normally? We pray an invocation. We invoke the Spirit. What are we doing? We are appealing to God to do what He said, to manifest Himself to us. Because we understand that unless the Holy Spirit comes, everything that we do is in vain. Your prayer is in vain. Your worship is in vain. Your preaching is in vain. Your giving is in vain. Everything is in vain unless the Spirit inhabits the praise of His people, unless the Holy Spirit shows up. And when God manifests Himself to us, transformation is the result. When God manifests Himself to us, transformation is the result. You say, how does God manifest Himself? I'll tell you one way. He transforms lives. He turns our affections upward instead of inward and outward instead of digging deeper into our own depraved selves. He causes us to love one another. He makes us one in that bond of love so that there can be something that transcends politics. There can be Jesus, who is Lord of all. He takes us and He causes us to love one another. He takes our diversity on all that we are, and He unifies us in His person. He makes us one in that bond. He gives us peace. He binds up the broken. He reconciles. He forgives. He gives us hope. He causes us to worship. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Notice the reason we behave. Don't miss this. Notice the hymn, Incarnation, Resurrection, Ascension, Exaltation. 
incarnation. He was manifested in the flesh. Resurrection, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Ascension, exaltation. He is our mission. And He not only is our mission, but He fuels our mission. And we are His ambassadors, His representatives. Just as the moon reflects the sun, so He has caused us to shine in the light of the glory and the grace that He's given through Christ. And we are His ambassadors, sent into the world, assured of Him, assured of this gospel, assured of this truth. And so we implore others as if Christ were making His appeal through us, 2 Corinthians 5. We say there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is life, and His name is Jesus. Now who wouldn't delight in a fellowship like this? A fellowship built on the Word, formed by the Word, and centered on the Word. It's my prayer that God would make us into this kind of fellowship, the kind of fellowship that correctly displays before the world the Savior who was sent, the Savior who died, the Savior who rose, the Savior who ascended, and this Savior who's coming again. And when He comes again, He will declare Himself King of kings and Lord of lords. Father in heaven, help us. Help us to delight in fellowship. Keep our hearts wholly yours. In Jesus' name, and all who are His say, Amen and Amen. You're listening to Hearing is Believing. For more information or to contact us, please visit hearingisbelieving.org.